whoever's listening, however you are listening, I want to welcome you back. My name is Grayson Mann. This is the Man With Plan podcast, episode 14. As always, I hope you guys are having a fantastic day. As of this episode being recorded, we have reached over 100 followers on the Man With a Plan Instagram. That is at the MWP underscore. Go give it a look. We're going to start posting more there a little more daily. More story updates, when episodes are coming out, when things occur in football, everything that I want to cover. It's going to start happening more often on the Instagram. That's where I want to have my main source of social media. So today we're going to cover the Matthew Stafford trade. What happened? Who's the winner? Who's the losers? I know I'm a little late on it, but I still want to give my thoughts on it. We're going to preview the Super Bowl that's coming up on Sunday. Take y'all's questions that y'all brought in. We got four that I'm really excited about. And then we're going to do a special, special thing that we're going to continue on this channel. But stay tuned for that. As of right now, we're going to talk about the Matthew Stafford trade. This was crazy. I could not believe it. I saw we were watching, I think... WrestleMania with my roommates, it was kind of crazy. WrestleMania is really entertaining, actually. I know it's all scripted and all this stuff, but I really think it's just absurd and bizarre. And that's just so fun about it. You can't really predict what's going to happen. Like, in a football game, baseball game, basketball game, you can usually predict the outcome. You can expect what's to come. And this thing, I've never seen anything like this before. This was my first time sitting down and being like, all right, let's get invested into it. I was jumping up and down. I was going crazy. It was insane. But let's get into the Matthew Stafford trade. So the Rams shipped two first-round picks, a third-round pick, and Jared Goff to Detroit Lions and then turned the Detroit Lions in Matthew Stafford. And I was like, oh my goodness. My instant reaction is, are the Rams a Super Bowl contender? And the Rams have a lot of pieces. They were able to make a divisional run. They had the Packers. They were competitive against them, but it felt like they needed an extra piece. And I've been very, not very critical of Jared Goff. I feel like he... Put on a very gutsy performance against Seattle, Green Bay. He made a lot of good throws. I think put in the right spot, whether that's Detroit or not, I think he's in a position to succeed. He's a really good quarterback. Maybe not the number one overall pick, but still very, very talented. Obviously, the Rams are not going to have a first-round pick for the next millennium. It's ridiculous. I think Aaron Donald's the f- only first-round pick that they've drafted that's still on the roster, and that's going to be the case for the next couple years. So... I think for Detroit, this is kind of like the Celtics to me. The Boston Celtics, they had this wild trade. They traded away Pierce, Garnett, all these assets away. But they got a lot of stuff back, and they started building and building. And now they have a pretty good roster, and they're competing. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, the core of that, Brad Stevens, they're doing really well. Made the conference finals last year, looking to be a caliber NBA team. Could Detroit be this? They have two first-round picks coming up, and... They could still get Jared Goff shipped out, which I think inevitably is going to happen because I feel like for Detroit, you're starting over. You have a new head coach in Dan Campbell. You got a lot of assets to play with. Why not keep building that and continue to stack your team, stack your roster? I think that's where Detroit's going. In the terms of the Rams, I think that there's more pressure on Sean McVay than ever. Matthew Stafford, more pressure on him than ever. This is a team that's going to need to win now in order to validate such an enormous trade. A lot of the pressure's on them to succeed. With a loaded NFC, you can have Green Bay coming back. San Francisco's going to be healthy. Where does Sean Watson play in all of this, actually? We're going to get into that earlier with a fan question, but how much of this value does Deshaun Watson play into this? Because if Stafford's worth two first-round picks, how much is Watson worth? Four? Three? Multiple picks, like in different areas? Third, seconds, a player. I think it makes it incredibly harder for Houston to be able to deal him out. 
I don't believe they want to, but they're going to be forced to, and they have to settle for something. And I feel like for Deshaun Watson, his values skyrocketed because I think you can make the very clear argument that Deshaun Watson right now is more valuable than Matthew Stafford. So that kind of screws over a lot of teams maybe looking to look for a fair trade for Deshaun Watson. Now the Texans are going to go, oh, it's worth two first-round picks, Stafford. All right, let's raise the bar a little bit higher, shall we? I think that should, for me, if I'm going to determine success on this trade, winners and losers, I'd give Detroit the win right now and LA the let's wait. If LA could make a conference championship, make a Super Bowl again, I think that they've got their value out of this trade. Obviously, without holding a Lombardi trophy, you can't really say much about who wins or loses yet. And will Detroit be successful? Those picks, you could draft future first Hall of Famers, Pearl Bowlers, all pros. You have assets now, so whether Dan Campbell's smart with that will determine the val- the whole thing of this trade. So let's shift to the Super Bowl. It's obviously Tampa Bay versus Kansas City, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes. Before we get into any analysis on the Super Bowl, I just want to say, wow, I cannot believe we're here. I remember it was April. We had lost power in a place at Clemson that we were staying at during quarantine, and I was listening to the radio. It was Colin Cowherd, and he was on an interview, and it was... I don't know if it's very likely that we're going to have a season. I don't think it's possible for football to continue. I was scared. I didn't think we were going to have college football. I didn't think we were going to have pro football. Like, what are we going to talk about? What are we going to do all fall? And here we are, February. The Super Bowl is in less... It's going to be in three days when this episode comes out. And I just can't believe it. I'm so appreciative, so thankful that we have this. Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes. It feels like it's the way it should be. The GOAT and the up-and-comer. A lot of people are making the argument if Patrick Mahomes wins the Super Bowl, he has the path to take over as the greatest of all time. So I think the Super Bowl more or less is more important for Brady because even if he... The more the more successful I feel like he is, the more he gets doubted. I feel like the more questions arise. Like, oh, but he hasn't done this thing. But he's done all this. No, but he hasn't done this thing yet. He hasn't won a Super Bowl for Tampa Bay. So I think if he gets number seven, I think it makes it... The argument's over. I feel like the argument's been over since he came back against the Atlanta Falcons, but there's a lot of people that want to make that argument. They made that argument about Aaron Rodgers with only one ring. Patrick Mahomes obviously is an absolute insane athlete, one of the greatest football players I've ever watched in my lifetime. Not in terms of like success and winning, but just pure skill of like, how the heck do you pull that off kind of thing? That's going to be fun to watch. I think for Tampa Bay, they can't afford to make mistakes in this game. Their defense is going to have to play to a level like they played against the Packers where they are keeping them in the game. Aaron Rodgers was facing pressure. He wasn't able to really get to his reads, get to his throws. And I feel like for Tampa Bay, if you can get pressure on Patrick Mahomes and put yourself in a position where Brady doesn't have to come from behind, because there's no 28-3 thing happening here. If Kansas City gets a 14-point lead, it could be very well over. They have such an explosive offense. They can do so many different things. Todd Bowles is going to have to have a lot of film to study. And speaking of film study, I saw a thing that Tom Brady has spent the last 12 days in isolation basically just studying. He's going to spend his preparation to the Super Bowl by himself, watch a bunch of films, so he's going to be ready. I think he understands the gravity of the situation. Like, his legacy is not on the line, but there's a lot to prove. The whole New England thing. This is why he's here. I didn't think that Tampa Bay would be in a Super Bowl position. I think they'd be in the playoffs. They'd lose in, like, the divisional against a more talented team. I mean, think about it. No offseason pandemic. You can't build chemistry in the preseason. No OTAs, nothing. All the way, short in training camp, and you're able to go 11-5 and five with a 
in my opinion, mediocre head coach. Mediocre roster with Jameis Winston turned into a pro championship roster with Tom Brady. The, the, just the difference it makes. He's in the Super Bowl. It just proves this is why I'm here. He literally hand, there's a meme. He literally handpicked the team and said, hey, let's go to the Super Bowl and win it. And it's going to be the first Super Bowl team to have home field advantage, practically. There's going to be healthcare workers there. 7,000, I believe, is the number. Congratulations to them. That's such a that's such a great thing by the NFL to be able to recognize the real heroes through all of this. All fantastic stuff. It's going to be... For me, I was thinking, I wrote this down, LeBron's Cavs versus KD's Warriors. LeBron, absolutely insane, but he had KD chasing him. LeBron, obviously the greatest player of this current generation, minus Michael Jordan from his separate generation, but KD was always chasing him. And KD has a super talented roster that he's joined in Golden State, makes so many shots, makes so many different things happen, and it's all on LeBron. Will LeBron be able to muster, and in the end, LeBron couldn't, but look at the roster he had compared to the I'm going to say the Chiefs. The Chiefs and the Warriors are like the same thing to me. The Chiefs, Alabama, Golden State. Offensive powerhouse can do anything and everything. And you're basically helpless. So I want to start. I asked a lot of my friends. I was like, hey, do you want to have a question to be on the show? I don't want to necessarily call it fan questions because I'm a relatively small podcaster. And these are just my friends answering my questions. So I'm going to start with one question. This is actually my neighbor, Rachel. She said, well, the Patriots make the playoffs. And a little thing about this is we have a bet going. Yes, a bet. $20 is on the line. Hopefully it'll be resolved. Hopefully I can get $20 out of this. So I think that for New England, they got to be mega aggressive in the offseason. They had a playoff team hiding there somewhere, but I think Cam Newton's inability, the whole thing, this is just also just to call out how great Tom Brady is. Cam Newton had no OTAs, no preseason to develop. Such a limited time when he got signed. So you could expect there to be struggles, and then when they started to pick up steam, it was almost too late. So I think there's a playoff team hiding there somewhere. Belichick's got a super talented coaching roster. It's just how aggressive are they this offseason? If they can get a couple pieces, get a good quarterback, I think their best option is to go to a veteran bridge quarterback and Fitzpatrick, Brissett, maybe even Jameis Winston. Find somebody that's suitable, doesn't turn over the ball, makes good decisions. That's the key. So I'm going to say, Rachel, that the Patriots will make the playoffs because I need 20 bucks, and I believe that there's a playoff team hiding somewhere should they have a successful offseason. This next question comes in from Wesley, and it's wanting me to talk about Auburn's schedule and their record prediction. So what I did, Wesley, is I put it into four tiers. I had confidence builders, tough road slate, and then their three and ones, and then obviously the last section being Alabama. You start off with Akron, Alabama State, Penn State, and Georgia State. That's 4-0 for me, and I'm going to tell you why. I think that they're going to be able to build some confidence there, get a lot of stuff going. I think for Bo Nix and this new head coach, they're going to have to find what is they're gonna what is going to be their identity moving forward. With Gus Malzahn, it was a lot of motions. It was a lot of going out of the pocket, and I feel like for Bo Nix, now correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like in high school, you kind of have this, this clock, this inner clock on you. And if you're good enough, you can scramble out the pocket. You can make any throw. It's high school. If you're the best, there's nothing that you can really do that'll stop you. And I feel like for Bo Nix, he needs to make sure that he can stay in the pocket and make these throws. This inner clock thing, he always, I feel like he panics a little too much and tries to make something happen outside the pocket. And there's just nothing there to be developed. And then this next section is LSU, Georgia, and Arkansas. Now, LSU obviously isn't what they used to be. Georgia's JT Daniels. They're super strong. 
should be a championship favorite moving forward. And then Arkansas. I think they go 2-1 and one in this stretch. Keep in mind, this is a new head coach, so you're starting 6-1. and one. That's pretty impressive. Then you have Ole Miss at Texas A&M, Mississippi State, and South Carolina. For me, this is 3-1. and one. I think Auburn's got a very fortunate schedule here. The only game that I'm really worried about is at Texas A&M. Playing in the big house, hopefully with fans back, is going to be a challenge regardless. And Jimbo Fisher's got his team in the right direction. I say you move 3-1 and one there. And then Alabama, there's no stopping Alabama. I saw something earlier say they have the best class of all time. How? You have this national championship streak, and then you get the best class of all time. I feel like it's just unfair. You're like, wow, what can we do? So I'm going to say Auburn for their new season, this new era of their head coach from Boise State. I don't exactly remember the name, and that's on me, but I think they go 9-3, and three, and that's a really good outlook building forward for Auburn. This next question comes from Mitchell and it says, What would happen should Miami not only build around Tua, but give him some familiarity? Devonta Smith and maybe even Najee Harris. Miami has multiple first-round picks. I think Devonta Smith is the best wide receiver in the NFL draft. He's one of the best route runners I've ever seen. And he always appears to be open or it's just almost unguardable to me. It's like Stephen Curry with the basketball. There's too much that you can try to do everything, but he's going to make it. And I feel like that Miami, there's no longer this bottom feeder team mentality for them they're going to be picking in the 20s the late rounds now because they're a playoff team they got a really good roster brian flores has really developed this team very well i still believe in tua i don't think seven games is enough to be able to have a judgment on him it's just not it's not very reasonable to me and i think if you could build Tua some weapons get him some familiarity that would go so that would go such a long way in his development devonta smith someone that knows Tua's strengths weaknesses what he likes, what he doesn't like. That chemistry doesn't just go away. And especially in the NFL, that would go a long way for Devonta Smith's development because he's got a QB that he's familiar with. You could start to implement some of that offense that Tua and him are familiar with. And then if you pair him with Najee Harris, who's just a tank, just straight-up tank, it's so much fun watching Alabama's offense, even though you're kind of like, man, I wish this was a little more competitive of a game, but it was just scoring, scoring, scoring. It was so much fun to watch. I was in awe of what they could do. Props to Steve Sarkeesian for him moving forward as a Texas head coach. He did a really good job orchestrating this Alabama offense, historic Alabama offense. So I think if that Miami builds around Tua, I think it'll be miles, miles ahead of his development where he's going to be. There was a time where we thought Josh Allen was a huge bust after one season, including me. I didn't believe in Josh Allen, but you have to give these guys time. I don't think it happens naturally for everyone. We're expecting it all to be Patrick Mahomes in a bottle. It just doesn't happen for everybody that quickly. Tua also has won a lot of games, too. I think he was 4-2 and two as a starter. The inconsistency with Brian Flores benching him with Fitzpatrick, I feel like you got to commit there somehow. That's That should be on him, but there's varying opinions on that. The last question comes from Mikey, and it's what should Deshaun do? And I'm going to tell you straight up, Deshaun Watson needs to not settle for anything less than what he's worth. I think his ideal team is San Francisco. San Francisco, Houston came out and said they want two first-rounders, two second-rounders, and a defensive starter. Where do I see assets and a defensive starter that's young and not on a big contract yet? Nick Bosa. You can trade away Nick Bosa. I know that's going to be very painful. Some of you are going to go, whoa, 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 whoa. But isn't it worth it for a franchise QB? You get Garoppolo out of there, that, ma- that bad contract. Get Deshaun Watson, what he's worth. He's worth every penny of that contract. And you get him with a Super Bowl team that's still in their window and still has a lot of talent. Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, freaking George Kittle. A trio of running backs that are ready to go. Raheem Mostert, Tevin Coleman, Jarrett McKinnon. 
that's a team ready to win a Super Bowl that was plagued by injuries last year in a COVID year. There's not much you can say about that. All right, when I return, we're going to talk about a very special segment we have moving forward. I'm very excited about it. To preview it, all I got to say is Gene Avery and just what it means to be a fan. This is the Man With Plan podcast. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Man With Plan podcast as always. So I think you're probably asking, what special segment are you talking about? So in my last podcast, I did a story about Gene Avery, a devoted, lifelong Buffalo Bills fan. If you missed it in the story, you can go back and catch it in episode 13. After I talked about Miss Jean with you guys, I discovered that I really enjoyed sharing her story and her love of the Buffalo Bills. I think it's important for any sports enthusiast, you guys understand what it means to truly love a team. And I love a team for as long as she did. It'll just warm the heart of any real diehard sports fan. But it goes a little deeper than that. At least for me. I think in this day and age, a heartwarming story goes a long way. Especially in 2020. 2021, that'd be. And if it's a heartwarming story about sports, I can't imagine anything better that I'd rather listen to, or in my case, talk about. In a way, I've always been surprised that there are not more of these kinds of stories out there. Because honestly, what is a sports team without its fans? What is the point of sports without fans? Fans are plainly put the lifeblood of any sports team and organization. Without fans, no one watches them on TV, buys their merchandise, no one buys the tickets to the games, no one orders pay-per-view for the fights. I I think you get the picture. Without fans, there's no one to support the team, pay the salary, the coaches, the players. No one's there to keep the lights on. The real kicker is that many of the fans don't even know about in this clinical business sense. They just have a passion for the team. Well, to answer the question why... We're going to do a little exercise, so bear with me. Think about the last time you were at a major sporting event. For many of you, it's been a while, and thanks to COVID, it's been a long time. But I know you can all remember, so stay with me. Close your eyes and think about walking around the gates. And what do you see? Do you see only elderly? Do you see children? Do you see only women? Only men? Obviously, the answer is no. You see something else. You see a family, a community. You may be from different backgrounds, raised differently, different ages. It doesn't matter. You're both fans of this team, and since it's one of your passions in life, you automatically understand it with each other. It's an instant bond with a total stranger sitting next to you, and it's a phenomenon that you really don't find anywhere else. I just love the whole mentality of sports and the family, and includes the bonds of the fans. So as a tribute to sports fans everywhere, I'm going to add something a little to the show at each end of it, where I'm going to highlight one fan story per show, per episode, and at least for now, that is the plan. And I want you guys to be on the lookout for some of these amazing stories. I've found so many that I want to share with you. But after you hear a few, I know you think you guys want to know some of the stories that are after. Some of them will be funny. Some will be very inspirational. And I might have a couple that maybe teaches a thing or two. I'm really out to surprise you guys. So if you come across a great fan story, email me about it. If you go to my YouTube channel, there's an about section. It'll be right there. Since it was Gene Avery's story that really inspired me to take part in this, we're going to call it the Gene Avery Super Fan of the Week. I never really got to meet her, and I think that she was pretty neat. Buffalo Bills fan, dedication for over 100 years. Wow. Crazy. 90 years, my apologies. I have really some cool stories on deck, and we're working to try to do some interviews. 
But for this one, it's not really a Zoom call that I couldn't get scheduled, and I think you'll agree that his superfan status is inspirational. His love of the team is absolutely legendary. I'm talking about University of Texas, Matthew McConaughey. I could share one video about you guys, about this guy, and you'd know the whole deal about his love for the University of Texas. The original idea for his 2019 appearance on ESPN's College Game Day was to come on a riding on a horse. Well, he did something a little bit better than that. He rolls on a game day in a vintage Lincoln painted in metallic University of Texas orange with a giant set of longhorns on the hood and blasting the song Slow Ride by Foghat. If you haven't ever seen it, I would strongly encourage you to Google it. In fact, I'm going to leave it in the description below. Name another celebrity that's tricked out their vintage car and spending the day with their alma mater to celebrate the team and their success. Over the years, he's thoroughly invested in college football at every angle. He gives motivational speeches. He's currently involved with the total design and renovation of the basketball arena. His list of priorities on the new space is oppressive. But what struck me is his focus on making sure the students have the best experience possible for these games. He's clearly very excited about it because in the brief research that I did, he seems typed-lipped about it all. Two other amazing facts, he's officially joined the faculty as a professor of film at the University of Texas. They're even paying him a salary, but in expression to his true fandom, he's giving it all away to charity. Which brings me to my final point. In a recent contest he promoted, which benefits feeding the hungry in this charity, you get entered to win to have a chance to sit with him at a football game in his private suite. It's just so awe-inspiring, just jaw-dropping to see an alumni that's transcended to such fame that he has, a movie star that's giving back to his fans in such ways. I can't think of another guy to start off the Gene Avery Superfan of the Week other than the legend himself, Matthew McConaughey. Alright. I hope you guys enjoyed this, and I hope you guys will ride with me on this new segment. I want to pay tribute to Gene and all the fans everywhere. Sports means so much to me, and for me, I'm going to share a little personal story. When I was a kid, I started this thing with my family. Whatever Clemson football game we were going to, I had to be the one to sit on the end because I wanted to meet a stranger. That bond meant so much to me. I can tell you so many countless stories about fans of the opposing teams that I've sat next to. Fans of the same team as me, or just people there to enjoy the football game that I've had a bond with. So many things on my phone, so many pictures from Facebook, that just so... I didn't care who it was, I didn't care what it looked like, what you were. I was so excited to meet you, because you were a football fan, and so was I. And that's all that mattered to me. I think that's also a way that I was able to overcome a lot of fears about talking in public and doing this podcast, is because I just talked. That's all I did. It didn't matter to me. There was no fear or apprehension, because... It was natural. It all seemed fine to me because it was a football game and there was no rules on how you could communicate with people. So that's my little personal story. I hope you guys can share that with me as we continue to grow this podcast. My name's Grayson Mann. This is the Man with the Plan podcast. Take care. Have a fantastic day. Mm-hmm.